We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to dress for the job you want. And on Sunday, Arsenal dressed like Spurs and got that result. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smithy, Bob Manager, Yank Gunner. Dress for the job you want. We apparently wanted the job of being Spursy. Um, and and we, we, we got the job. We got the job. Now look, very, very good cause. The no more red shirts support um, ending or raising awareness for and helping to stamp out knife crime, knife violence. Obviously very important. So we support that. Uh, here on the pod, obviously, but you dress like Spurs, you know, pretty soon you are Spurs. And I would just say that maybe there's a different shirt that can support that cause that doesn't uh, make us all think of that loathsome club that we uh, aped on Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about the game. We're going to talk a little bit big picture. I think it is a difficult one to discuss because there's the way we played and then there's the result we got. And then there's the fact that it's a second consecutive home loss and a third consecutive loss. And there's a lot of frustration building. And I think that frustration is understandable and uh, justified, but it doesn't always make for the clearest analysis of what actually happened. Now, here's the good news. I got Clive here. I'm going to introduce him in a moment. I will say that, uh, that it seems like everybody globally is sick right now. Everybody I talked to asked a couple of people if they wanted to be on the pod today. And unless they just didn't want to be on the pod today, because why would you, uh, after a third consecutive loss and an FA Cup exit, um, everybody's sick. Tim is recovering from uh, a sickness, but his voice hasn't come back yet, but he'll be back very soon. Uh, Paul is away, but thankfully healthy. So we can keep our fingers crossed that that stays status quo. But uh, here with me now, the man who cannot get sick, who can literally go for a walk through the cold of winter, come back, not just more thoughtful, more intelligent, but also healthy as an ox. His name is Clive. You can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this game because I watched it live, obviously. I connected to the emotion of it very strongly. I found myself exceptionally frustrated and my sort of left brain and right brain at war with each other to understand how to contextualize it and think about it. You were uh, celebrating your mother's 80th birthday, so happy 80th birthday to her, of course. And that meant that you had to watch it 
cold without the emotion, you know, knowing what happened, understanding the context of the frustration that's out there in the wake of this. Mm. And I think maybe even more than usual gives you the ability to analyze it, I think, um, in a more clear headed way. So I, I'm excited to hear, well, excited might be too strong a word, but I'm, I'm very eager to hear how you may be connected to this game differently and what you thought of it. Yeah, I mean, um, I obviously when I'm at the party, <laughs> scrolling on the phone a little bit, <laughs> and, uh, just a bit, just a bit, and uh, yeah, it was people were frustrated, but I mean, I, I did catch the first ten minutes live, then had to disappear, mm. and the first ten minutes, mate, I'm thinking happy days, you know, seriously, um, I'm looking at this thinking, well, we're doing everything right, you know, this is just like great, you know, and mm. but then when I when I watched it this morning. That first chance was really important. The Nelson um, one, where Rams, yeah. Ramsdale just goes long to Nelson. Yeah. yeah. I think that was so important for the day. You know, I think it's not just the miss. It's what it uncovers. And it uncovered a lack of conviction and hesitancy about the, the next thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And the ball gets clipped. Now, first things first, he makes a run we haven't seen for a while, have we, from our left-handed side player. He makes a different run, out to in, in behind the centre forward. That's the sort of thing we have to do more of. Vary our runs, don't just stick positional play. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so exciting, something different. He runs through, should have lobbed him straight away. Misses his first touch, then has a heavy second touch. Goes around the keeper, has a heavy second touch. Gets to the byline, he's got two white shirts running in, and he's got a difficult slot right in the byline. I'm not saying that the passes were easy for the cutback, because they weren't, but that was the right thing to do. And then see what happens from there on in. And he goes for and he kicks it past the near post, which you can't do. That's the that's the least option you can do. Then the camera flashes to his face. And when I saw his face, I've gone, mm, you're you you weren't sure, mate. You weren't sure about what you were doing. And that youthfulness and callowness under pressure is almost where we are. You know, and mm. so, you know, the same thing that we, how can we say, the same thing that lifted us all to a place we, where I uttered the words is one of my most favorite seasons, if not my most favorite season. And part of that was not just what we did. But it's how we did it and who we did it with, and they and how young they were. That same youthfulness is something that, um, when things are mentally challenging, it looks challenging for some of these players. Do you know what I mean? That makes mm. sense, did it? Yeah, yeah. But, um, I heard your IR. You asked your moment, and and that was my moment. You could encapsulate a lot from that first move. Yeah, and I think. Let's be clear. I want to give Reese Nelson a pass here. He's an Arsenal Academy kid. He rounds the keeper. He looks up. He can't pass to white shirts. <laughs> that's that's hard coded in his DNA not to do that. No, I'm kidding. That is that is a big moment. And there were several moments like that in the first half. And there's a lot of frustration out there. And I want to be careful because I don't want to come across as suggesting in any way on this episode that the frustration is not warranted, that the frustration is not real and that there isn't cause for it. I, I don't want to be in the position of telling people their frustration is wrong. Three losses in a row out of a, a cup that is historically tied to our club and an important opportunity for silverware for this group. 
all the frustration is valid. I just want to try to get to the locus of what's actually wrong so we can maybe cut through it, it, the the feeling because it is it is hard to know how to zoom out at a time when you've lost three games in a row. Um, and so I want to try to strike a balance there. One thing I want to do is talk about the manager changes. You know, it, it is an interesting thing I find in football. And I'm not sure, I think it's unique to football. I'm not sure this happens as much in any other sport as it does in football. But when a team doesn't win, the manager is immediately the one who gets a lot of the ire and comes under fire. But I have to say at the moment, I think the ire belongs with the players because the players aren't doing it. And they aren't doing it in the critical moments that win games. You just picked one moment. There are several others we can pick in this game. I mean, Havertz, so many chances to to make the difference. Gabriel has a header to make the difference. Saka has moments in front of goal. Nelly beats Trent Alexander-Arnold to the byline twice, can't pick out a cutback. There's that one moment where we have a high ball recovery. We get into the box. It's cut back to Nelson. That's taken off his foot. Odegaard hits the bar. There were so many moments. And ultimately, the irony is Liverpool weren't any better in front of goal. They got an own goal. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, the talking points are what they are. But I want to focus on something the manager did in this game that I think is interesting in terms of what it might mean for how we play the next few games. He did add a string to his bow, I thought, in terms of his setup for this game, Clive. I don't think we've seen much of this anytime recently that I can think of. You criticized him on this podcast for the position he put Kivior in against Fulham. I think rightly criticized him. Well, he heard you. He listened. We went to a 4-2-3-1. I think Klopp called it a 4-2-2, whatever you want to call it. It was more of a yeah. flat back for like two holders, right? Jorginho and Rice sitting more like a double pivot. Kivior got to play more of a traditional fullback. And at least in the first half, I thought it worked wonders. We had more of the play. Kivior wasn't exposed. Now, granted, there was no Mohamed Salah to expose him, but still dangerous players out there. And I thought it really worked. I thought it looked good. Our high press was winning the ball back. What do you think of that? particular innovation if we might see it again and if you think it it worked pretty well in the absence of, of Zinchenko yeah the listener knows what I'm going to say uh, you know I, I like I like this system and I, I do think um, Declan Rice's question around whether we make him a, a six or a, a six stroke eight is a uh, it's still a question for me, and it's not a problem because he's 24 and he's, he's on our books and he can do all the jobs, right? So um, we just got to decide what we need him to do on, on a particular day. But against the big teams, I like him in this role. I like him to go and hunt people in the, in the opposition's half and go and create things from there. And he did that really, really well. Obviously, there's Jorginho is not the future for us in, that, in, in as Declan Rice's partner. And as we record, there are rumours today about Andre also. Amadou Anana, sorry, I'm getting the right mm -hmm. right, right uh, name. Hopefully not Andre Anana. We've got enough goalkeeper issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Getting getting that mixed up, and um, and so yeah, and people don't want to hear that today. But you can see the future there. You can see what could happen for an Arsenal midfield, and so I like that setup, and I did like um, I like a. A six and four rather than five plus five. If that makes sense, Elliot. I like. Mm -hmm. I want to see our four given freedom to go and to really rotate and move. So I'm. I prefer that. And the, and the, when there's occasions to have a five up, then you we've got the players to do that. Hopefully going forward. So yeah, I liked it. Like what we did. Liked our aggression. Liked our. What I really noticed from watching it, and it was once we won the ball, you've got you've got a line in front of you. And you've got the Yeebs option to go back. 
And a lot of occasions, people were splitting the line to go forward very, very quickly. And I thought it created a momentum, particularly early on. And I really like some of my decisions. You know when you're running backwards towards your own goal? There's a square pass that's difficult between two players. Or there's an easy pass back to Saliba. People are taking the square pass. You know, and, and then we are turning around and going forward. And I really like that. So I'm looking at our possession decisions. I'm looking at our pressing decisions. And I'm I'm looking at our speed to really run into the box, you know, particularly from Saka and, and Odegaard and Havertz. I'm thinking, oh my God, she's great. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the, for the goal. And, um, and it didn't happen. And I, I want to say something. This sort it's... Why isn't it happen? Why do we all feel this sense of doom once the chances don't hit the battle of the net? Because we all know that mentally, every chance we miss is affecting us as fans and it's affecting the players. And we feel less certain as time goes on in a game when we haven't scored that we are going to score. And people don't want to hear it, but this has become a, a mental problem. So let me give you a bit more context to this. When you're training a set of players, you're training and you're doing finishing drills, sometimes goalkeeper goes down to the floor. You always hear a coach say, finish it. Finish it anyway. Get into good habits. Get into good habits. Do the job. Finish it. Finish it. The one game that I think allowed some of this sloppiness to become part of our identity at the moment, because everyone knows the numbers. I'm sure you're going to quote them later on, Mm. was Aston Villa. Aston Villa was away, was away, was the day when I felt sloppiness crept into our selections around the last third. We missed some big chances in that game, not just in front of goal, but to get ourselves in front of goal. And I thought it was, I thought it was wrong. I thought it was sloppy. And what happened then, things have crept into us. And the light has turned. It's turned away from our goalkeeper. It's turned away from the shininess of Declan Rice. It's turned away to the top end of the pitch and the light is on them. As the light gets brighter, I'm sorry, the mentality of our players to deal with that, their intention is superb. Everything is is on it, apart from the Fulham game, which we're going to scratch, right? Everything is on it. But what we are not seeing is a, basically, we're not seeing a, a real conviction. And that's because you let sloppy habits get into your DNA, into your mindset. Now you're starting to think. Your first touch is now tentative and it's not setting up your second touch. You're not taking things with, without a touch. You're taking things on three touches. When that happens, we're giving up blocks. How many block shots have we had starting with West Ham? The only reason that happens is because you're giving someone a chance to get back in. So it's down to us and our conviction to play. And, and we've lost a little bit of that. Well, we've lost a lot of it, Elliot. Should we go for the numbers? I mean, we've lost a lot of it. Everyone knows them, don't they? Yeah. <clears throat> the So, well, let, let's wind back f- for a minute to the game just for a second because I, I just want to ask you something that I think is the easiest question you can ask somebody about a game. Let's start with the first half. Do you think we played well? Yeah, I do. I think we played well. I thought most aspects of this game, I thought we played really well apart from the last aspect, right? Which is the end, the end point. Yeah, I, I thought we played great. Um, no one wants to hear that. Like, the, the frustrating thing about a loss is there's sort of a way you're supposed to talk about a loss, I think, 
that is the accepted way to talk about it. And that is, you know, anger, disappointment, outrage, frustration. I have all those emotions, but we played great in the first half. Liverpool are the top team in the league right now, and we soundly outplayed them. I would say over the last two games we played against Liverpool, I have no problem with the way we played them. I don't think they were superior to us, really, in any long-term phase of the game, and I think overall we were fine. I think in this game in the first half we were fine. They made adjustments in the second half, and I think they came back into it more, although I will point out, setting the Diaz chance aside, the Diaz chance doesn't count. And you say, of course it counts. The reason it doesn't count, it's a cup tie. You're in the last minute of stoppage time. You should lose 2-0. You should. Because you should be trying to make it 1-1 so much that you either get to 1-1 or lose 2-0. I mean, our keeper went up for for the set piece before that. So I don't have a problem with that. But we had the biggest the chance other in the DS second chance, half, too. There was, was the other DS chance that led to the Ramsdale save, which was yes, yes. super sharp. Yeah, super sharp. That was super sharp. But, it, but again, the biggest chances of the second half, at least that I was jotting down, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have the specific data in front of me, but if you go to them, uh, we had the, the, the Kai cross that deflects to Saka and he mishits it when Gabriel probably could have headed it. Yeah. Um, I watched, I watched that today and okay. Listener will tell me if I'm right or wrong. Right. But the commentators may be leading me down this path, but I wonder if Saka called for it because that move was beautiful. And, the easier chance was for Big Gabby to head that in. And he seemed to, either he thought he's going to get smashed or he seemed to half pull out. And I haven't seen all the angles, but that to me was a big moment in this game. You know, the first moment with Nelson, the Odegaard hit the bar and that one was for me the, the three that really stood out. Yeah. And and then there was the, the really clever set piece, free kick, where... Um, was it Od- Odegaard plays it to Kai? Kai stands it up at the back post, and Saka just blazes it over. That's what I was um, talking about earlier. Sorry, we, we gave oh, me oh, questions. So, so, That's the one I was talking about, where yeah. Gabriel comes for Is it. Is that where Gabriel's coming in? Yeah, and he leaves it, and Saka so, blazes it over the bar. So what was the one? There's one where uh, Kai... Is it Kai crosses? There's one where it deflects. It's a, it's a Kai cross, 61st minute, and it deflects to Saka. Right into his path in the 61st minute. I wonder if it's on one of these sites that I can look at. Because it's, I thought it was a big chance. Here we go. Big miss sack of 67 minutes. Let me, I'm going to do the arse blog thing here of watching this live. So (laughs) we're building up well. Odegaard out wide. It goes to, to Martinelli. Oh no, actually, sorry. It's a Martinelli cross that deflects and it, it lands at the boot of Saka and he just blazes over. In fact, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the, um, oh no, what am I talking about? That's the, phew, good one, Elliot. That's the Fulham game. Never mind. Um, moral of the story is it was very similar to that. He, he mishit it. I tried to do the arse blog thing of, of narrating that live and, and got it horribly wrong. So I won't, uh, I won't enter his lane. I will stay in my lane in the future. But I guess my, my point is, if I had one to begin with, that I thought, Overall, we played pretty well. I think Liverpool made adjustments in the second half, as they will. They're a great team. They're well-coached. I thought some of those adjustments worked really well. They did get some chances themselves, certainly. And it was a pretty good cup tie in general, punctuated by a lot of actual poor play in the boxes by both teams. I thought we didn't finish our chances. Liverpool certainly were not executing in our box either. Um, And it, it made for one of these cup ties where I think both teams... Whichever team didn't win, it was going to probably come away lamenting 
the moves that didn't come off. But once again, it's Arsenal lamenting those moves the most, and that's really been the story for us. Um, I, I, I want to go bigger picture on a lot of this, but I, I do want to talk a couple of things specific to the game. So w- the first thing I want to say is the Ramsdale thing. Um, first of all, do you have Ramsdale at all at fault on their goal? I've seen people say he came and didn't get anywhere near it. It's fantastic delivery from Trent, which you expect. I thought it was pretty petulant from Odegaard to give away that foul, to be honest. But other than that, I thought Ramsdale did well. Obviously, he kicked long twice to create chances. He had a really good save that you mentioned already where he got down smartly. But some people yeah. have him um, culpable for the for the own goal. What do you think? Uh, I don't see that. I think Kibiol gets pushed out by Diaz out of the box. And he comes back in. And and he sort of, he, as the defender's coming back in, he was just half a fraction off from heading it away. He headed that in. I felt bad for him, really, because... You can see that he's not at the top level of his confidence. He's taking very conservative options on his clearances. He's he was better in this game, a lot better. I think both our fullbacks have become silent almost. <laughs> we can't see them. We can see our center center backs, but we we got disappearing fullbacks. They just they're just gone. They're not doing anything right, not doing anything wrong. You know, they just they disappeared though, and they're a big part of our play. And so, yeah, I felt for him. You're thinking when when I when I heard it of my own goal, I just thought myself, "Oh, please don't make that be Kivior. And it was. You think you don't you don't want it to be him because he's the one that's really trying to get in and create a, a reputation for himself, and that just allows people who are not having him to not have him. Elliot, do you see what I mean? And um, he's a player that we're still trying to work out. Very young player, and I do wonder if he's settled correctly. And it looks like a player that needs rhythm inactivity does not suit his body type and, and mentality. I think it takes him a couple of games to get going. Um, he's better in this game than the last one, that's for sure. Yeah. I. It's interesting watching Ramsdale, right? It, I think it just, what it reminds me is we made a decision in the summer to address a position that I think could be a 1% improvement in our season, in our performances, at the expense of sort of good vibes and squad harmony and fan connection, and then just left an area of the pitch that could have given us 15, 20% improvement, the attacking line, un- untouched. And I will have plenty of time over the next two weeks to be talking about this. But I think if anyone wanted to criticize the project TM, I, I still firmly believe that this project has been built on trying to develop control and security, and we've done that effectively, and we've acquired some excellent players, but it's at the expense of properly strengthening the forward line. And at a time when our forward line is not performing, we don't have the players to turn to to turn that around or give them rest because Bukayo Saka, for example, zero for five on dribbles in this game. One for five on dribbles in each of the last two games. That's two for 15 in his last three games. That, to me, says fatigue. But what can you do but play him? Because there's nobody else. And I, I I think that is a bit of a holding up a mirror to the project in terms of how we've opted to build this. And the irony is Liverpool is the perfect mirror because Liverpool has just said, just keep buying guys that kick the ball in the goal. you know, And, and that's kind of worked out for them. Your, your thoughts on that, Clyde? Yeah, it's worked out so far. Let's see, let's see how we go, shall we? Yeah, so of course. Of course yeah. my, my view is... And again, I'm just trying to explain why the club has gone this direction. On the goalkeeper thing, you know my thoughts, Elliot. I'm I'm very much 
in the, I get it from a football principle point of view, but I feel goalkeeper is a very emotional position. I think it's emotional to the centre-backs. I think there has to be a connection there. And the goalkeeper, rightly or wrongly, is the guy who's closest to the crowd. And I've got used to the fact that the, our goalkeeper has a great connection with the crowd. And I think it's an important emotional position. People can say, well, yes, glad, but he's a 50 fender and I get it. And I'm part, I, I understand the football side of it. I honestly, I do. But I don't know. I just not comfortable with that whole thing. Um, when you, when you look at a team, we look at a squad, we always go to the weakest point in our analysis. You know, um, last year, when the Man City team sheet home game was read out and Thomas Party was injured our hearts just sank we had to go into that game without him because we knew he was a critical player we've covered that up now Declan Rice plays thank goodness we spent the money on Declan Rice because without but with Party's fitness we don't look at midfield as a problem because Declan Rice was doing two jobs right? so we just don't look in that area the extra years to Saliba and Gabriel we don't look there anymore Ben White's been fairly steady. We have an issue with left-back rotation potentially because of injury, uh, inconsistency. But we're, we're sort of all right there, if, if it, particularly when Tommy comes back. right? So, And then you look at the front end of the pitch. And you say, we, also, we spent money on Kai Havertz. Now, when you bring Kai Havertz in, you're saying to yourself, okay, this player's coming to our group. But for many people, when you bring a player like Havertz in, there's a lack of clarity about his best position, best role. So you're bringing that person into a into a team from a rival club with a decent chunk of change that you're not sure about what his best role is into a team which, he, when it's winning, is fine. When we're not scoring, your your eyes go straight to that person because it's like last man in. You see what I mean? Last man in. He's the first one to get fired. It's like at work, you know, the first one to get made redundant, last man in. And uh, and so he's one where the light is shining on. And if I'm the manager, just trying to explain it from the manager's point of view, he's thinking, I need to solidify the team. What I also need to do is just make sure that I have this group of young attackers. So am I saying, am I saying that, that these young attackers are not good enough? So the 22-year-olds, Odegaard, Jesus, they're young, they're going to develop on. They exceed their XG last year, they're going to develop on. I'm going to invest in them by giving them opportunities to play. Now, we can debate whether we support them or not, but I can see why they're thinking these guys are going to kick on again. They're going to kick on again, and, and they haven't quite. Now, when you are Arsenal and you attack in a collective way, one of the reasons why I've always liked that sort of philosophy, Elliot, when you have four or five people getting 10, 15 goals, is that when any one person is injured, you don't lose your system. And it de-risks you. What's really crazy about this situation is the whole collective in our front end of our pitch has gone cold. At the same time, either gone cold, lost conviction, or injured. And that is, as a manager, you're trying to manage risk. You, so you de-risk with your style and your system and your whole front end or your rotation has just gone freezing cold at the same time. Mm. So what do we do as fans? Get a bleeding striker in. Do you see what I mean? And the 88 goals or 89 goals we scored last year via collective way, that's been chucked. 
So, so are we saying these young players, we no longer believe in them? Or are we saying, we just want to add another one? If you add another one into this mentality group, what's he going to do? Mm. We have to find, we have to find that from within. We have to find somebody who's not going to pass the ball off, but take the shot. Take the shot first time. Don't worry about hitting a standing leg. Take it. Don't go away from your good habits. Take the shot with conviction. You know my favourite shot of that first half? Ben's white, Ben White shot. When he came running in first time and he locked his ankle and smashed it. I thought, there you go. Very similar to Trent's shot. Trent's shot would hit the bar. He wasn't messing about, was he? He just hit the shot straight through. And I thought, we need more of that. We need more of Ben White's example, conviction, when we're taking our shot. You take a bit of anger, you take a bit of intensity, and you go to score. You do not mess about. I find I think it's so interesting the journey we're on. Remember earlier in the first part of the season when we were talking about Odegaard? He's taking too many shots. Mm. Now he's passing the ball off square when he should be shooting. This stuff matters. I was always happy with him taking shots, always, apart from on his right foot from 100 yards out. I was always happy because that's the mentality we want. Take your shot. Take your moment. Apologize after. It doesn't go in. Those people said, oh, his numbers are low on creativity. That's bollocks, mate. Rubbish. Take your shot if you've got it on your left foot. Don't let bad habits get into your, into your brain because then you start to lack clarity in your last action. And that is exactly mm-hmm. what we have done, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> nobody, nobody, when people are in their emotions, nobody wants to be particularly analytical, and I get that. But just throwing this out there, in our last three games, Liverpool in the Cup, Liverpool in, uh, Ful- Fulham in the league, and West Ham in the league, we have 6.5 expected goals to 2.5 expected goals allowed. 6.5 to 2.5. The results cumulatively of those three games are one to six. We've got one from our 6.5 and six from the 2.5 we've allowed. Now, there are some people that are going to say, ah, but, we, you know, we, we take a lot of shots, but we don't get good shots. Bollocks. It's not true. Exactly. It's not. Listen, you can want to say that because you're mad, but you cannot make up facts. And those are simply not the facts. Whether you want to measure it by big chances, which we've had in those games. And I get the Fulham game was a bad performance. And yet, there were the chances to e- either level the game or win the game. I don't think we deserve to win the game on the quality of our play. But setting that aside, the facts are the big chances were there. They were there and they weren't taken. And I think, and I really believe this, that it is okay for fans to not care about XG and not care about data and be emotional about results and care about results exclusively. And I would even say that's the role of the fans to some extent. It's not your job to manage Arsenal or director of football Arsenal, coach Arsenal. It's your job to support Arsenal in whatever way brings you joy and fulfillment and an escape from the rest of your life. But the manager should care about the data because the data will tell the manager as a guiding light are you doing the right things at the core level? Is the plan working and not being executed or is the plan failing? Okay, I would say the plan is working, but the execution is off. Not the plan is failing, it's time to change. 
And I think that is really, really important because if I said to you, would you like to see Arsenal continue playing the way they played in the first half against Liverpool, the way they played against West Ham, the way they played most of this season, and hope that our players we think are very good up front turn it around? Or would you like to see us scrap that plan and try something totally different? Is something totally different going to get us playing better? Because I don't regard us as playing badly. And this is where I said nobody wants to hear that after a cup exit, after three consecutive losses. It is a bit of the fog of war, right? Where you're in the middle of it. You've just lost three games. You're emotional. Everything feels like shit. The goals aren't flying in. And you say, oh, it's all crap. And I, and it feels like it's all crap. But someone's got to be able to get outside that fog and see if it's all crap. And see... We are still in the Champions League with a matchup we can win. We are still just five points off the top of the table. We still have underlying metrics that have us as one of the best teams in the league. And if we continue to execute on this plan, either you believe in the talent of our front three or you don't. And if you don't, by the way, you might be right. You might be. No one can say for sure that Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus and Eddie and Kedia and Nelson, that, that, that is enough up front to win anything big. No one can say for sure because they haven't done it yet. And this season, they sure as hell aren't doing it. But if you believe in the talent, especially of Saka and Martinelli and Jesus and maybe a little bit of a couple of those other guys, then you should believe the plan is working and will work. Now, I, I can't tell anybody what's going to happen, but this, is, this goes back to my point of like, I understand frustration with the manager. I, I experience it. But my frustration is largely with the players. And one player I wanted to talk to you about real quick is, is Kai Havertz because I thought the decision to play him up front was good. And this is what's hard about football. In some ways, I think Kai Havertz contributed to us looking like the better team. But Kai Havertz also didn't do the stuff that the center... You know, we, we blame Jesus when he doesn't finish his chances. And we, you know, we, we blame players when they don't do the fundamental things. Zinchenko, right? We know he helps our ball progression. But if he can't defend, he gets criticism. Kai Havertz did a lot of the things that made this a good performance. But he didn't kick it in the back of the net. And he blew a lot of moves and chances that could have been good. So how do you evaluate a... a, a a performance like that from Havertz, we've been saying it'd be nice to see him at center forward. We got to see him at center forward. I think our play looked good as a result, but once again, we're bemoaning a player who didn't execute in the last action. Yeah, it's at this moment in time, right? We're all looking for that guy that sits in the dressing room, puts his shin pads in, ties up his boots and says, I'm on a goal bonus. Make sure <laughs> you lot give me the ball, Right. Give me the ball in the box and don't wait. I'm making a run. I'm going in front of him. And he's talking to his teammates. I've got a mortgage to pay. Give me, my, give me, that, give me that ball. We ain't got no one you, like You that. saw what Ian Wright tweeted, right? No, I haven't. No, no. What did he tweet? He just said, we need a killer. He just yeah. said, we need a killer. And well, it's, it's, it feels that simple in some ways, doesn't it? But we, we are, where I was going with that is, tell me who that player is in our, in our dressing room. Mm. Do you think anyone's like tying up their boots thinking... I've got to get my goal bonus today. We're not like that. We're a team of midfielders. You know who I do? You've heard me say it before, I've got, I've got an answer for you. Mm. I've got an answer for you on that, by the way. I think if you said to me, who's the player who most has that mentality in him, the, I want to stick four of these balls in the back of the net today. I actually think that guy is Gabriel Martinelli, but we don't give him that role. We yeah. put him on well, the touchline and have him run and make him a creator. I, I'm not saying he'd do it, but it, he feels like the guy, what you just described of our attackers, that's the guy I think has that mentality. Yeah, but we're not we're not emphasizing that part of his game. We're not right, we're emphasizing uh, back to my point a few weeks ago when I said we are a team of eleven midfielders. I think that's the goal. Yeah, 
And I include our goalkeeper. When I say 11, I mean 11. <laughs> People that look after the ball like midfielders. But sometimes, at some point, again, we have a collective philosophy, collective defence, collective attack. At some point, when we when the collective is not working, we yearn for that bloke that doesn't care about nothing else but give me the ball between the white sticks. That's what we're yearning for right now. And it isn't here. And it isn't and it never was Kai Havertz. It never is Jesus. It's not Sacra Martinelli, but although I do take your point. It's not Odegaard who fifteen goals last year. But they have roles around ball retention, continuity, speed of foot, speed of thought, speed of pass, shot. But not one of them is in their contract has said, I want 15 grand a goal because that's going to make up the majority of my wages. Do you know where I'm going with that, Elliot? Mm. No one is signed in this club for me to be the primary goal scorer. We are Arsenal footballers that play a collective style of football. And right now, the decision and the thought process that we start to think forward is, do we want somebody that is your attacking system that can do a little bit of the facilitation, but also cares very, 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 very much about the thing, which is the hardest thing in football to do, which is the very last thing. And at this moment in time, we always tend to want what we don't have. And it's probably anyone not listening is saying, we need a centre-forward, Clive. It's similar as that. And sometimes it is that simple. We need a centre-forward. But I'm conscious, Elliot, we've been here before. If we're going to get that centre-forward, we're going to buy him once. We ain't going to buy him twice. He took us three, four years to get out of the Lacazette, Aubameyang thing. Right? A huge cost to the club, a huge cost to the project. If we're going to do it, let's do it once. and Let's do it properly. You know, if that we, if you have to wait for that to get three, four years of proper football, then I'm prepared to wait. But I'm finding it very hard to turn away from the fact we have a hole in the top end of our pitch that feels big at the moment. I think it could be a lot smaller if we find our mentality, but it feels big today. I can't deny it. Can't deny it. Yeah, and <clears throat> I mean, there are a lot of people that feel that the Havertz signing has derailed the project, that it was $65 million that should have been allocated differently. By the way, of the guy you're describing who's just sticking in the back of that, it's probably Eddie and Kedia, right? It's just the level isn't quite... No, yeah. 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 Um, no, there, there are people, and like, sometimes we say there are people, look, on the internet, there are people that think everything. There are people that think the earth is flat, right? So <clears throat> you don't need to engage with every opinion that exists. But I can understand if there are people that look at that signing and say, wow, we made three signings this summer, one home run, one unfortunate injury that looked like it was trending in the right direction, and one big signing in a critical area that hasn't quite lit the touch paper for us. And and I am sympathetic to that view. I don't know where I stand on it yet. I'm not in judgment mode on it yet, but I confess that I think there were probably alternatives. But... If we're going to point the finger there, and I understand why you would, he played center forward for us, had no goals, took six shots, and and you know, didn't find the back of the net. And I think you know he had a big chance missed. But if we're going to point that finger, we have to point it at the players that we also like. Bukayo Saka had five shots and a big chance missed. Can I, can I just turn Havertz right. for, for a bit, mm-hmm. Elliot? Can I turn yeah. Havertz for a bit? Because mm-hmm. I thought his center forward performance as a center forward 
in our build-up and availability and retention and pressing was really good. It's just that his his shot wasn't there. His power wasn't there. And his heading, his header one, oh man. He never seems there, does it? Does he, yeah. Have you seen him strike a ball with authority? No, you know? like he's never it, smashed one. <laughs> you know, and it, you know, I think back to that Newcastle performance when he was full of fire. And I just think, you know, that's what the fans want to see a bit more of. I mean, I'll tell you what, that, that was a sliding doors moment, not getting sent off. Imagine a three-game ban after that. He then kicked on after that and got player of the month, right? So, so just need a little bit more there. But I saw... This, it's almost like you could see the future with this. It's not a wasted game. They feel it right now. But the systemic changes we made, some of the, the forward-running changes we made, and by saying we're going to look at Kai there, that could be something to facilitate movement in the transfer market. You want to look at something before you make a move. And I don't think, although we didn't score earlier, other people are going to say to me, Clive, you're talking rubbish. We didn't score. And, I, and I'm open to that. But you, I don't think that was a failure. To play him there, you see what I mean? I don't think it was a systemic right failure. I, yeah. That would have been my pick. <laughs> it's, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, and I, I, I got a little. I will, for me, I'd have liked to see Trossard play there and then rotate it and into that position. Mm, yeah, but yeah. that was. I, I don't know what's happened to Trossard. People just seem to have forgotten him. But I would have gone with him false nine. I would have played Havertz and Rice together, and I'd have done it that way round. But I was really interested to see Havertz play there, and I thought he played it well. He just didn't score. But that's a wee thing, isn't it? It's all over the dressing room, isn't it? The, the goal-scoring aspect of our team. Yeah, I, I was just making the point that, like, if you want to point a finger at him, and I and I understand, by the way, you don't have to point a finger at anyone. If you want to identify him as someone who didn't perform in front of goal, you have to at least acknowledge that it's some of our most beloved players that are also simply not doing it at the moment. Um, you know, Do you think Saka still looks like a threat to you? Because to me, threat is important. You know, because I um, think he looks I really do, I, threatening. He just can't finish at the moment. He, he was 0 of 5 on dribbles. And as I pointed out in the last three games, 2 of 15 on his dribbles. I, I think he is playing with less dynamism. I think he looks like a player that needs this holiday. And I also think he's doing something that I don't think we've seen him do much in his career, which is I think he's sort of snatching at chances now. You know, some of these volleys he's had in the last few games just... Plus they, yeah, and we've let that, it in. We've let in the boogeyman, mate. We've let it into our heads. Yeah. Now we think about what we're doing. This is what I was trying to say to you about my Villa analogy. That's when it started. Elliot, we were better than them. Come on, mate. Think yeah. back to that game. It's ridiculous how we didn't beat them in that game. And you know what? What's great about that game as a, as a Rorschach test for your opinion on football is like people say we play too slow, we play too ponderous, we don't get in quick enough. Against Villa, we were in quick, we were in direct, we were in behind their line. We did all the things people want us to do because they Not didn't sloppy. sit deep, and we still didn't execute. So it's like y- you can't have it both ways. I. I totally agree with you, Clive. I, I want to talk young players not coming on just because it's it's a talking point and it's out there when I ask you about it. I, I don't think we're going to do the Onana rumor. Firstly, because I don't think it'll happen. I don't think there's money for it to happen in January. Um, we've got we two weeks to talk so about just, that if it heats up. Yeah, we don't have you know the plan. We'll do, so we'll do a scouting video for him over on the Patreon. We'll get a look at him. We'll see what we think. I think there's going to be frustration if we sign anyone that's not a goal scorer, but <laughs> he, he is certainly a player we might need. And by the way, maybe the funds for that is coming from a, an unexpected party departure or something like that, something that we don't necessarily don't foresee that's going to exactly. happen. An, an exactly. Eddie departure to Palace or something that we don't we don't expect. I mean, uh, by the way, Eddie had one touch in this game, which I thought was an interesting uh, interesting 
approach to things. Um, okay, <clears throat> here's what we'll do. We'll talk young kids not coming on. And I, I think we also need to talk about, you know, sort of the, what happens next, how we turn this around, um, what what the key key moments are. Because the other thing we need to confront is Gabriel Jesus has an injury to the knee that w- was the one that he had the big injury on. The quotes are, we don't think it's big, but there's a scan. I, you know, I sort of wonder if Kai's starting at nine. Is Mikel saying, I'm a little nervous about this Jesus thing, and I need to see what I've got in Kai up front, <clears throat> which would be a bit scary. But <clears throat> you know what's really scary? Like a, a thing that I think could keep you up at night, if you think about it, is using a rusty old razor that's been sitting in your shower to shave your privates. That's scary. That's scary. And you don't want to do that, okay? And according to Manscaped, they give you cheers to the new year and say, because your resolutions shouldn't be the only things that are well-kept, 2024 is the time for new heights, new opportunities, and a new look for your Times Square balls. Yep, that's where they went. There's a brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, okay? You can go to manscaped.com, use code ArsenalVision, and get 20% off in free shipping. 20% off free shipping. Here's the thing about the, the Ultra that's actually really cool. It now has two different skin-safe blades. So it's got the standard ceramic blades for taking a little off the top, but it has a foil blade now that can go fully smooth wherever your heart desires. That can be body, by the way, too. I mean, your privates are part of your body. Uh, more on Science Corner later. But... Um, so if you if you want to go smooth in other parts of your body, men and women, this is for everybody. I know it's called Manscaped. It's PeopleScaped. Let's be honest. And so you can do it. It's waterproof, so you can do it in the shower. It's got a long battery life. Mine's been in the shower for months without having to be recharged, uh, despite the fact that I use it at the appropriate uh, intervals. Now, if you want the full package, you can get the Performance Package 4.0, where you will get the grooming kit, the ear and nose hair trimmer, the aftercare products, okay, and uh, some deodorant. Right? So you get all of that. There's the boxers and the shed toiletry bag. So you're going to love everything that's in that package. I think the Lawnmower 5.0 is the perfect tool for doing something that we all do anyway, but we all use terrible tools for it. So just get the right tool in the new year, new year, new you. 20% off and free shipping with code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. Now, when you are trying to watch uh, match of the day, which recently we wouldn't have wanted to watch, but you're not in England and you can't watch it because you're out of the country or when you're trying to watch a football match at 3 p.m., God forbid someone should watch a 3 p.m. football match, but you can because you can VPN back to the U.S. where we can watch every match or wherever you're from. You need a VPN so you can browse in the country that you want to browse in. I use NordVPN. I recommend you use NordVPN. It's this simple. Of all the products that we have offered, Nord is the one I think I get the most requests for the code because people want to get it and and it also has threat protection it'll remove threats before they get downloaded on your computer you won't be tracked you won't have tracking cookies following you around the internet you can browse from wherever you want watch netscape in a different netscape (laughs) i'm 90 years old nice to meet you watch netflix (laughs) in a country outside of your own um you know see the football matches that you can't see elsewhere use your um your subscriptions when you're out of the country. Okay, NordVPN team did a a national privacy test, by the way, and that's something that you can check out over at Nord. But for now, this is the best package they've offered, okay? So you get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, and you get four free months, four bonus months, 
completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can sign up, you get the free months, you can try it, you can cancel anytime if it's not for you. Really good opportunity. Go to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that, okay. <clears throat> Real quick, one of the things that I think people are starting to um, suggest is an issue at Arsenal I think probably without sufficient knowledge, but we might as well bring it up because it, I think it is a talking point in this game based on what Klopp did, is that Mikel hasn't found opportunities to, to blood the academy players. He's brought them with them to Champions League, for example. Didn't get a chance to get a run out. Um, in this game, the kids that were on the bench didn't get a chance to get a run out, but two youngsters um, from Liverpool, 20-year-old and 18-year-old, both got on in a game that wasn't decided yet, nil-nil in the FA Cup. They both come on. Um and yeah, they still wind up winning. So what do you know? He gets two kids, a memory that they'll have for the rest of their life, shows that there's a pathway. I I can't believe I'm going to give this oxygen, but Amari Hutchinson's brother was Instagramming about, oh, free my fellow youngster. Like Hutchinson's like 24 or something, right? He's not a kid. He's not playing. He's on the bench at Huddersfield. I don't want to pretend that that deserves a lot of oxygen, but I think it's a fair question to say, should Mikel find times to, to get these kids out there. And I, I know we want to win every single game. And these guys are under immense pressure. Klopp has a little more experience. He's won big trophies. So maybe he feels more at ease to do what he wants. If they had lost, maybe the fans would be saying, oh, you took Jones and Elliott off and look what happened. We lost the game. So, it, you know, it's a lot of outcome-based analysis. But do you think there's any issue there with not finding opportunities to use the uh, the kids in certain situations? Uh, let's, let's take Liverpool's situation first. I mean... They have got a League Cup game in the week. So they are, they're trying to manage the week, shall we say. Yeah. So I thought that was very smart of them. And I did hear your IR yesterday when you said about the subs coming on, Liverpool didn't want to win it sort of thing. Uh, I thought that was quite funny. Um, but They didn't want to replay. I, I yeah, they didn't want to replay. Winning it, yeah, they didn't, we didn't you. want to replay either, let's be, let's be clear. Correct, yeah, yeah. That was, that was the worst result of all. Um, so yeah, hey, look, we... We used Europa League to blood our last set of youth players, shall we say. And one has moved on to Newcastle. And the rest are still here, aged between 22 and 24. I think a couple of them are reaching the point where we know the story, I think. And the next set are coming through are 16 and just turned mm -hmm. 17. We're not talking 18, 19, 20-year-olds. We're talking 16 Ethan Wanieri is one of the top three 16-year-old players in the country. That's well-known. Yeah, that, that is well-known <laughs> at youth levels. Well-known. That's not us. People that are really into that stuff, and there are many people that follow Arsenal that are, this is not new news. Right? So, Miles Lewis-Skelly, another player that's got real potential, both on the England track. They're just, we're just waiting for them to mature physically and the level they're trying to get into is not um, eighth-place Arsenal. We're trying to get into Champions League semi-final Arsenal. Do you see know what I mean? That's a completely different level. And so we have to be patient there. Was there... I, there was a couple of opportunities. I think we brought Jesus on for the last couple of minutes in one game recently, maybe the PSV game, quite late. I thought, you know what? Could we have brought on Wanier for that game? You know, But what does, would that change the world? Or would it just tick a box? You know, um, mm. I, I the way I look at the Arsenal fan base last night and I was coming back from the party, 
I didn't see a lot of patience in there for development in my timeline. Do you see what I mean? And we don't we we say we want this stuff, but when they don't do well, we're not having them. Get them out. Do you see what I mean? And so I, I think we ha- we have to be consistent about whether we we are prepared to wait to develop or we want things right now. And when we have three tough losses in a row, I think there's a feeling that we want the the main all the priority for for me and for many is we want to see the goal scoring return. And then it becomes how are we going to do that, whether it's a coaching development mentality thing or we just get a checkbook out. And I think that's where it's at. You do not want to bring young people into a team where the experienced 200 grand a week people are struggling for their mentality. Why would you want to bring young players into that group? And I don't think that would be fair on them. It takes 10 years to build someone. Don't take 10 minutes to ruin them. Be patient. Be patient with them. If they are good enough, they will rip the shirts on someone's back and they will have to sell that person. It's as simple as that. And the two I've mentioned, right now at their age group, they are good enough. And they're they're going to get their opportunity to just have a bit more patient. Yeah, and i got to level with you. I don't have the energy to care about whether academy players get a chance or not because I don't know enough about what's in the academy. I think with the exception of a few very careful academy watchers, we mostly lie to ourselves about knowing what's in the academy based on some YouTube comps and some things we read. I would argue that some of the biggest academy players to come through in the last several years have not been the heralded players from the academy. Joe Willick's brother was more heralded than himself. Um, Alex Awobi was not getting talked about before he broke in. But kind of Saka, I, I know there are a lot of people that rated him, but he was not the one that I was regularly hearing about when he broke into the team. We don't know who the next player is going to be necessarily. It's very hard to predict who's going to make it. And <clears throat> while I think you do want to show your academy kids that there's a path to getting into the first team so that they don't feel like there's no hope, uh, we can't pretend to understand what's happening below the surface there. And there is a lot we're playing for that I think is way more important. This feels like a stick to beat the manager with to me. I'm not saying anyone doesn't believe it earnestly, but it feels like that to me because it is a very, very minor thing. Um, I think the biggest thing that should keep Academy kids excited right now is the fact that you have an Academy kid in Bukayo Saka starring for Arsenal and an Academy kid who started against Liverpool and an Academy kid who's played 10 times in the Premier League at striker and Eddie Nketiah. If there's one thing Mikel has shown, if he hasn't blooded Academy kids maybe as much as you might like, he's shown that he wanted to keep Nelson. He's shown that he wanted to keep Nketiah. And the irony is that's thing people wish he hadn't done necessarily. He's been right? almost so overly patient with some of those, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's too really patient with, the, the with the, Yeah. So, you know, you can you can look at that through multiple prisms. There's a lot of frustration with Mikel right now. And you know what? That's just how it works when you lose 3 in a row and you crash out of the cup. It yeah. is frustrating that we crashed out of the cup. Having said that, we crashed out of the cup to Liverpool in a pretty good performance where I thought our tactical plan worked and we missed chances. And that's football. And so, you know, if we produced the Fulham performance against Liverpool again, I think I'd be a lot more outraged today. But I want our players who are on the pitch to finish their chances. Right now, they can't finish their dinner. So, like, it's it's a tough one. I I will ask you one last thing on this game specifically, which is just the decision to wait till like, the 88th minute to bring on Troussard and Smith-Rowe. Smith-Rowe is one of those guys that people have a lot of time for and I think really want to see given chances. And I understand it because we all remember a time when it looked like he was something special. I mean, this is a guy who scored 10 Premier League goals in a season. Yeah. Having said that, it's so long ago that 
you know, we're not entirely sure what Smith Rowe is. Um, we just think we know. Were you frustrated that that substitution happened so late in the game? Um, I think they scored quite late, didn't they? The 80, 80 odd minutes, and we made a substitution straight away. Jorginho came on for Eddie, was it? I think almost immediately when the goal was getting in. And yeah, they scored an 80 minute own goal. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was 88 minutes when Smith Rowe and Trissard came on. Eddie came it, on right away, uh, right away, 81st minute. Right away. Could you have done all three at the same time? Could you have done them all at the same time? You could have done, but maybe they weren't ready. You know, and you got to give them time to get ready, right? So people people forget that. Right? So maybe Eddie was always going to come on, and it was like, okay, could we want to win the game? And then suddenly they score. Eddie, you're coming on. You two get ready. Do you see what I mean? And and that's how sometimes it goes. When you're a fan, you're sitting there, you say, hey, "Why aren't they coming on now? Why they were Maybe that's it's just little details like that. Um, it would have been nice potentially now we knew what had happened that they all, they were all ready to come on at the same time. Um, Smith throws a difficult one, right? Because I think there's so many unknowns about him, about his potential. I think we can all see it, and it's undiscovered, shall we say? It's undiscovered over a longer period of time. Mikel tried to bed him in, tried to feed him in, give him his, his Premier League start. And straight away, he's injured now for a month. And again, we don't know the whole story there as to his recovery. I'm not making excuses. It would have been, you know, he chose Nelson on this day. Some people say, why doesn't Smith-Rowe play instead of Nelson? You know, and that's the, and that's, their, that's them, you know. I think we want to see speed in that area, and I, I, Smith-Rowe doesn't seem to be a wide-left option anymore. There was a day, if Martinelli wasn't playing, Smith-Rowe would play. You know, that day seems to have changed. You know, and so, but again, back to the playing the, the academy kids, right? Didn't play Trossard, our £27 million signing. We played Nelson. So you can't win, can you? Well, you can win if you win. Then all your decisions look perfectly, perfectly thought through and strategic. When you don't win, I'm afraid you get criticised. Yeah, and it's, again, this goes back to a lot of the stuff that I just said at the top of the pod, but... Football is a sport where the the team that puts the ball in the net winds up getting to decide how the game is going to be viewed and discussed and analyzed. And look, I don't want to make it sound like this was one-way traffic. I think in the first half, it almost was one-way traffic. Liverpool came back in the game well in the second half. And the thing they did is they just went long. They put a cluster of players on the Kivior side. They went long and they were good. Was it on the Kivior side? Because I thought they moved uh, Darwin sorry, to no, it, was the, the, it was on the Ben White yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just, diagged into, the, yeah. <laughs> they just mm-hmm. diagged into that corner and ran up behind it and, and one more sec, one more jewels. And the person that suffered in those jewels was Odegaard, actually, because he mm-hmm. wasn't quite getting the second ball and they were quite clever. They lumped it onto Ben White's head and then made Odegaard not face their goal, but face his own goal. And then smashed into him. And he was the one that was most aggravated with the referee, do you notice? He was trying to get um he was trying to get his fouls and he wasn't getting them. You know, ref was saying, play on, son, this is FA Cup, this is England. <laughs> get on your way. Mm-hmm. Get and um and he, and he couldn't get it, he couldn't protect the ball. And and that's where they got the momentum from. So they got the momentum from second balls. It wasn't beautiful play. It was just second balls around that area. And we didn't adjust to that quickly enough, actually. 
again, hindsight is wonderful. When you watch a game, when they watch this game back, they're going to think, oh, could we have maybe maybe put Kai over onto that side rather than drop back on the left eight, put Kai over to that side, move Odegaard over to the left side, and then bring Eddie on. Maybe they were going to do something like that. We don't know. But Kai to take out the second ball and be more dual-centric on the right-hand side of our pitch would have worked maybe a bit better. But hey, look, I'm a genius when I've watched the tape, right, in a nice, relaxed way. So, mm. Look, I, the goal that decides this game is an own goal, unlucky skim off the head of Kivior. Like, it's it's fantastic delivery from Trent, and he is a, a fantastic player, a complete cheat code of a player that allows Liverpool to play direct, but without it feeling like they're lumping the ball forward, which is such such a weapon, yeah? Mm-hmm. Can I just add a bit on Trent? Because I thought I thought he was he was fine in the first phase of the game. Um, was showing. I, I do yeah, like ruined his running. By Martinelli on consecutive consecutive well, dribbles where he just this, gave up the byline. This is where I was going. I think his running power has improved, particularly going forward. He's really got a bit of pace about him when he's going forward. But Martinelli came on and rinsed him, ran around him. And you know what Klopp did immediately? Was make a substitution, brought a young kid called Bradley, stuck him in behind him, and just said, you just do one-on-one on Martinelli. And the Martinelli, he just he went poof, disappeared, didn't he? Disappeared again. Right? So, um, and so, again, I thought that was quite a smart use of resources. Okay, it, it, was, re- it was defensive, it was reactive to what we were doing well. What do you do as a coach? When you're getting beat, do you just sit there and get beat? Or do you react to where the danger's coming from, what Arsenal are doing? And I thought we reacted really, really well. He got a break on the first goal, got maybe got a break on the second goal. But um but it but it is what it is. That's football, right? We didn't take we didn't make the breaks go our way down to our lack of conviction mm-hmm. and getting letting things into our brains that need to be removed real quickly. And reminders need to be sent out to say, you do know how to kick a football. And you do know how to do it really, really well. So stop messing about. And start doing, start doing it, you know. And it's very simple, this mate. It's just finishing drill, repetition, repetition, repetition. Very simple until the the mental fog disappears and everything becomes clear again. And that goal gets big, and the goalkeeper looks small. That's what happens in football. When you're rubbish, mate, and you, you're worrying about things, Alisson looks like a giant, and you can't see the net, you know. And that's what happens when, you, when your confidence is a little bit. Undecided, and I, I think it's also like I do think it is fatigue. Like I think that's happening. Every single major Arsenal outfield player has played more minutes than every single major Liverpool outfield player. For example, they are benefiting. I know I said this so many times, so apologies, but they are benefiting from what we benefited from last season, being able to rotate in the Europa League. You know, and and using that extra <clears throat> that extra power to play more direct, to press, to do all the things they like to do. There is a chance. I mean, look, Liverpool now have. A two-legged semifinal in the League Cup starting this Wednesday. They play every three days basically the rest of the season now. They've got the extra round of the Europa League to worry about. They now have another FA Cup tie, which will move one of their league fixtures into a congested zone probably in April. We we know how this stuff works. And, you know, this may wind up being the thing that costs them when they need the legs at the end of the season. <clears throat> you don't know. And that's not me saying it's good to crash out of the Cup. That's just me saying... There's so many moving parts to football, it's hard to know what's going to matter most. Yep. There is a part of me that wants to join in the hand-wringing and the panic and the we haven't bought strikers and Kai was a waste and like really get worried and upset about this stuff. But there is a part of me that also feels that we're going to come back from Dubai, we're going to be rested, and we're going to start 
kicking it in the net the way we kicked it in the net last season. Because it's not like these are two different teams. The team that did the things it did last season in front of goal is the same group not doing those things this season. And that's a reminder that everything is small sample sizes in sports. This is a hard thing, right, with data. Data is meant to assess large samples. But we're talking about three games. It's a very small sample. We're talking about a season of 20 games. It's still a small sample. The fact is... We could come back from Dubai, have a little more power in our legs, start kicking the ball in the back of the net, and realize that there was never anything to worry about. Now, the opposite could happen, and we could be screwed, okay? I don't want to pretend that the only outcome is the sunny outcome, but Clive, um, we're five points off the top. We're playing just fine. We're still in the Champions League. I want to just hold fire a bit, because I think if the players that we've seen do it before start firing in front of goal again then it's way, way too soon to be doing some of the post-mortems I see. I see a lot of the kind of analysis right now that makes sense. Look, if if five weeks from now, we're cut adrift from the title, we're in a top four battle and nowhere near the top, and we've been knocked out of the Champions League by Porto, a lot of the conversations being had now will absolutely be warranted then. But given where we are right now, it feels way too soon, especially given that one hot run of finishing could make this all look like a blip. And I'm not ready to, to to get conclusive about any of this stuff yet. Yeah, I mean, we don't tend to do that. Not at this, not at this early stage. We have a period where you can mentally reset. I've been looking forward to this period for the players on their behalf for a long time now because it's obvious they need it. And um, Kel says something about minutes. You mentioned that one player last season was at this level of minutes. Now it's 14 or something like that. And so they've got the data. They know what's going on here. They know what's going on. It's just a matter of refinding things for me. And what I think is really important, Elliot, is we don't beat ourselves. I mean, we're only fans. We can only support the team, right? So, But we almost create the environment by which the team exists. Every club has their own bubble to try to protect people from the exterior world that doesn't understand what goes on on the interior, all the details. But it's very important that we as fans help create the environment where they can grow and they can still relax. Because a player that's worried and tense and nervous because he's worried about fan reaction, he's not likely to kick the centre of the ball on his laces. Do you know what I mean? Um, I did listen, watching the game again yesterday. I, I wasn't there, so I haven't got the full context. But I did feel and hear a very supportive crowd. You know, it, there might have been some grumbling because it's, it's a second home defeat in a row, and I may be completely wrong there. If you want to boo it full time when you've been knocked out of the FA yeah. Cup at home, like be my guest. You know? I, I, sensed a, I sensed a, uh, I sense the support still there. You know what I mean, when we get on, to, when people get onto their keyboards, they say things, right? But they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say that in front of the players. Do, do you know what I mean? And um, they say things. Well, that's themselves. the right way to do it. To be fair, yeah. right? Like, if we want to get on a podcast or a website or a, a keyboard or the pub, and we want to have a, have a moan, that's fine. At the ground, try to create an environment where they can thrive. That's all. Yeah, and it's funny outside world. People look at us and you know, look at us. All they're 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 botting it again. They're botting. They're not. They can't score. They're botting it again. Let's have a laugh at them. If we fall into that trap, then that's exactly, you know, we, we can't. We have to we have to really be overly supportive, even though we're all petrified and worried. <laughs> we have to almost yeah. throw that away and say, you know what, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. It is going to come back. Because I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to say that Bakaya Saka's not going to refine his form again. You know, or for Martinelli. 
you know, or for Odegaard or for Jesus. You know, I'm not prepared to say it. You know, they're, they're too young, they're too good, and they've done it, and I've seen it in my own eyes. You know, so they're going to come back. They are going to come back. We've just got to wait for it. Yeah, if you think this slump is real, then at least one of the things you think is that those players aren't as good as we thought they were. I'm mm. not there yet. You know what I mean? Because this slump is driven primarily by not finishing our chances. And that's primarily the fault of the guys up front. And either this is really their level, this is who they are, or they're going to refine their level. Now, you're entitled to be like, I think this is who they are. We don't have enough options. They're shagged out. They're tired. We didn't build a big enough attack. We can get into all that. We'll do a full January sort of squad building transfer look on Thursday and throughout the week. We'll do an Onana scouting video over on Patreon. We'll do all kinds of stuff. I, we can get stuck into the January window properly. We've got two weeks till our next game. Sadly, I am not getting to go to a warm weather place to put my feet up. Neither is Clive. Neither is Tim. Neither is Paul. So we will be here with you. We'll leave it there. Frustrating times, but I think... We stand at a pivot point. If they come back with their shooting boots on and beat, you know, Palace five nil, then this is. I think. I think almost immediately some of the fog will lift. If the issues in front of goal continue, it, then the frustrations will start to become more warranted because the season will be on the brink. So we'll see where we go from there. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. Bought me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. A couple weeks to figure it all out. Everybody, we love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal ten. Palace nil. No.